Hello from the East Coast to the West Coast and to listeners around the world. Welcome to the Truth Seekers Radio Show. I'm your host, Angeline Marie. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. We're broadcasting on Liberty Works Radio Network at libertyworksradionetwork.com and their affiliate stations. Also, don't forget, you can always learn more about our program and find podcasts posted at truthseekersradioshow.com. Today, my guest is Patrick Wood. He's a leading expert on sustainable development, green economy, Agenda 21, the 2030 Agenda, and historic technocracy. He's the author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation, and co-author of Trilaterals Over Washington, Volumes 1 and 2, with the late Anthony C. Sutton, and he's the editor-in-chief of technocracynews.com. He remains a leading expert on the elitist Trilateral Commission, their policies and achievements in creating their self-proclaimed new international economic order. An economist by education, a financial analyst and writer by profession, and an American constitutionalist by choice, Patrick Wood remains maintains a biblical worldview and has deep historical insights into the modern attacks on sovereignty, property rights, and personal freedom. Such attacks are epitomized by the implementation of UN policies such as Agenda 21, Sustainable Development, Smart Growth, and in education, the widespread adoption of Common Core state standards. Patrick Wood is a frequent speaker and guest on many radio shows across the nation. And today, I am so happy that he's agreed to discuss his book with me, Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. So if you will help me welcome Mr. Patrick Wood. How are you doing today, Patrick? Just fine. Thank you for having me on today. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your information with us. I really enjoyed your book, and Patrick, before we get started today, I'd like you to tell us, for maybe those in the audience who've never heard you before, what prompted you to write Technocracy Rising, but then what is technocracy? Well, that's a fair question. Um, I started out in the mid-1970s researching globalization and the intended globalization process. Back then, the primary um, advocate, if you will, of of globalization was this organization called the Trilateral Commission. And they were uh, an international organization with members from North America, Japan, and Europe. And they had declared back then in their writings and so on, that they were going to create a new international economic order. And um, that interested me, of course, because of my economic background, uh, what, you know, what is a new international economic order? And uh, so uh, Professor Sutton and myself wrote extensively about the Trilateral Commission up into the early 1980s. And uh, after that, uh, we we both kind of went our separate directions for a time. Um, Professor Sutton died in 2002, and unfortunately, all of his research was lost um, when he when he died. It's an unfortunate story. I won't go into it, but it was all lost. And I had the only duplicate research of those early days, and that put pressure on me, uh, obviously. Um, 
So I decided that I, I needed to resurrect my own research and carry on uh, the torch, so to speak. And that's how I arrived ultimately at technocracy. And, you know, it was it just, um, it wasn't something I went searching for. It just happened in my course of research and stuff that I ran across this historic movement uh, from the 1930s. And I realized that that was what the Trilateral Commission was talking about when they said they're going to create a new international economic order. So I really started digging into it, did a lot of original research, um, traveled to uh, University of Edmonton, of all places, up in Canada. Spent a week up there going through their archive collection on technocracy from the 1930s. That's where it all ended up, all the records, the letters, the the pictures, the booklets, the magazines, um, you name it. It's, all, it's just amazing, amazing treasure trove for me. Um, and that kind of, you know, kind of brings it along. I ended up uh, uh, realizing I needed to put all of it into a book. I called it Technocracy Rising, as you've already mentioned. Uh, it's on my website, by the way, technocracy.news. If anybody has a mind to uh, check it out, go to technocracy.news, and you'll, you'll see the book there. It's also available on Amazon. Uh, there's a Kindle version as well. Some people like to use Kindles to read. Um, but that's kind of a quick 40-year um, tour <laughs> of where I came from and how I, you know, kind of how I got into this. Uh, but I did realize along the way, Angelina, that that this this story about technocracy is the most important story in this century and in this modern day right now. I don't think there's another uh, more significant story that needs to be revealed than this one. Now, in your book, you say that technocracy is based on energy rather than money. And that, I mean, we're so used to the system that we've grown up in. So what exactly does that mean, Patrick? Our current society is based on this economic system that's currency-based, but now you say that we're going to go to more of this energy-based economy. Can you explain more about how this would actually work in our day-to-day -day life? Well, any, any type of economic system, of course, would have to have a currency. It would be, it's like the lifeblood of the body. Um, you have to have something that, that provides liquidity. And to the technocrats in those early days, they decided that energy would be the perfect source of currency uh, in society. And uh, they therefore they would do away with all, with a national currency system, the fiat paper system we have today, for instance, and they would replace it with energy credits or energy currency. The way they envisioned it back then is that at the beginning of a period, like a month or a quarter, a forecast of the energy produced would be made, and it would be divided by the population, and everybody would receive their allocation of energy credits or energy you know units. And um, they could use those units to spend on goods and services that were priced according to the energy that went in to make them. So theoretically, if you went to buy a blouse, for instance, you could, you could make some pretty detailed assumptions about, well, the cotton was raised in Egypt and then it traveled on a, you know, on a boat to uh, Sri Lanka and sewing machines sewed it up and then it went on a boat again and went to uh, you know, went to Walmart or whatever, and and you could kind of figure out how much energy it went in to make 
each thing in society that would be bought. And that's how things would be priced. There would be no supply and demand. There would be no uh, choices in the sense that, um, you know, you might have five relatively similar things uh, to buy, but they'd be different. Um, they anticipated that they would control all of the means of production and all of the means of consumption. And that means that they would decide what needed to be made. Then it would they would have it made, and then it would be distributed to the population for consumption. One of the very devious and radical things about technocracy with the energy currency that I've just described is that they specified that they would um, they were wasting uh, as a wasting currency in the sense that at the end of the period, any leftover units not spent would just um, dissipate. They would just uh, terminate, become worthless, if you will. And you would get a new allocation for the next period. So there was no ability to save money. They figured, well, what do you need to save money for anyway? All your needs are taken care of. And that means you couldn't leave any inheritance to your children. And basically, you're just living month to month, hand to mouth, um, at the instance of these engineers and scientists and technicians who felt like they and they alone were able to run the world. Uh, I know that sounds crazy, but that's exactly what they said, and it's been documented six ways to Sunday. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as radical as it sounds historically, this is what's happening today. This is what's being played out today. Uh, in the global economic space, and people aren't paying attention. That's This is my problem. Again, people are not paying attention. They're all fighting over political battles. They're, they're worried about, well, it's going to be this candidate, that candidate, or whatever, and they don't realize that, that, that the big coup is an economic coup, and if we lose the economic battle, we will have lost everything. The stakes are very high, as you know. Okay, Patrick. We're going to go ahead and take our first break. Listeners, today my guest is Patrick Wood. He is the author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. And we'll be back momentarily on the Truth Seekers radio show. This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. That's right. General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices. A 50 by 100 for $35,000. You heard right. That's 5,000 square feet for $35,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 100 foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic Lows. You can't afford to wait. So call 800-965-1291-800-965-1291-800-965-1291. You can control your health care with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is an alternative to expensive health insurance. You can finally make the right decisions for you and your family. It's not insurance. It's medical cost sharing. You can affordably control the cost of your medical expenses. It's a group of individuals effectively sharing the cost of health care 
and paying far less for it. You don't even have to pay for procedures that are unnecessary or that violate your conscience. This is based on shared values. You are not alone. With Liberty Health Share, you're part of something bigger, a group of people who care for and support one another. Join the movement of people who share in medical costs and change the way you pay for your health care forever. It's simple and easy. Call 1-800-714-6993 right now for more information or visit libertyoncall.com. Get a free estimate today. Liberty Health Share. There is an answer. Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers radio show. Today, my guest is Patrick Wood. He is the author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. Now, Patrick, in your book, you also talk about governance being a process of regulatory management versus representative government. And you say that uh, regulators would be unelected experts. And you mentioned the European Union as an example. I don't think people realize or understand how this could happen, but in a way, isn't it really happening even now at the local level? Because I know we have these committees and and they have specialized appointees on these groups. And really, these people at a local level are affecting policy decisions now and recommendations. They bring them to the city councils and the county commissions, et cetera. So I suspect this might be what's going on now as a way to push this technocracy that you talk about. Is is that kind of what's really going on? Could you talk about well, that? Well, yeah, that's that's a good observation. There There is a net that has been spread over our country like it was once upon a time over, over Europe. Once the net, if you can look at the net kind of like a, the infrastructure of this whole process, once the net has been cast, then what's needed is to is to uh, pull on the drawstrings, if you will, and close the net and, and make it tighter and tighter around its subjects. That's what's happened in Europe. The net is so tight in Europe at this point that the individual nations can barely move left or right with any sense of autonomy at all. Uh, there's a lot of people fed up with this system, by the way, because they're being suffocated under the regulations that just come out incessantly from the European Union, uh, you know, the staff and the people, the regulators, the technocrats. And this is what's happened in America as well. We, this, if Europe was the template, we're the target of it now. The net has been cast over America. Uh, we have a system now, uh, for instance, of uh, councils of governments that are uh, implemented in uh, all but two states right now, actually. And these councils of governments are creating a regional form of governance that's com- completely antithetical to the constitutional republic to which we are used to. And uh, these councils of governments are pushing policies like Agenda 21 and 2030 Agenda policies, all of which, by the way, support sustainable development. That's the economic system that I call technocracy. Uh, They're pushing this down into every local community around the country. And I mean every community. You can't hardly go. I don't know where you could go in this country right now 
uh, if you look at the county uh, zoning commission, for instance, the county board of supervisors, you look at the city council, you look at the city managers, you look at the staff people that are creating some of the you know plans and stuff for the future, you'll find this, this technocracy mantra, this sustainable development mantra, everywhere you look in America today, and the net is being drawn tighter and tighter with every passing month. Okay, and you're talking about this net, and that goes with what I was thinking. As I'm reading your book, and you're talking about technocracy, I was thinking about these guys that are big in tech, like uh, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and the guys that run Google, and how they're collecting all this data on us. How important are they and this data collection towards this entire world plan that they have for us. Is there, uh, in fact, yesterday I heard that now it's going to start supposedly in China, but I'm sure it'll come here too, that they're going to start watching what you do online and tracking it all, and then you're going to get this internet credit score. Does that kind of fall into where we're headed with this technocracy plan, do you think, this data collection and the hold they're going to have over us? Well, it really does, and I wouldn't I, I wouldn't say on on the other hand that Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, for instance, was part of the original plan. I mean, he's just a kid, right? He's still just a kid. Um, but the technology has played into the whole scenario quite well. Let me read to you the definition of technocracy according to technocrats from the 1930s. This was published. This definition was published in a magazine called The Technocrat. And it says, quote, technocracy is the science of social engineering, the scientific operation of the entire social mechanism to produce and distribute goods and services to the entire population. And so, you know, this this in a nutshell, that's explains it very well. It's the science of social engineering. And when they say it's the scientific operation of the entire social mechanism, that's exactly what they mean. The scientific operation uh, does not include any sense of governance whatsoever, governments whatsoever. It merely means that they, those appointed ones, if you will, the scientists and engineers, are the only ones brainy enough to put together a system to make society work. Even if, even if it results in a scientific dictatorship, they think that it will be a benevolent, somehow a benevolent dictatorship where everybody's just taken care of. They don't understand human nature very well, by the way, I have to say, because most people don't like to, you know, be cast as animals in a zoo. You know, that just goes against most people's brain. But that someday they're going to get this, I hope. Mm -hmm. But that's the essence of technocracy is to manage. And along with that, uh, the, the technocrats knew that they needed to monitor the, the social mechanism so that they can make mid-course corrections. And to an engineer you know, and a, or a scientist, you cannot control what you cannot monitor. So a monitoring system to collect data on all aspects of the social mechanism is necessary and it's a requirement for technocracy to work. So all of the massive collection of data that we see across our country and around the world, but we'll just talk about America, You've got the NSA, the CIA, the FBI, Department of Homeland Security. You've got fusion centers, 
You've got uh, massive spying operations going on with all these agencies on American people. And virtually everything we do is being harvested and stored on central, uh, within a central repository. That, and I mean everything, phone calls, emails, um, all your social media activity and stuff is very public, by the way. Uh, like Facebook, you ask about Facebook, like Twitter, LinkedIn, all these different you know, various social media uh, outlets. All of those things are being monitored right now by the government. So, yes, Facebook is an important one because it's huge, and it has a tremendous amount of data available to be sifted and sorted by these data-hungry technocrats. And there's no end to the amount of data that they want to collect. There's no such thing as too much data. And uh, if, you ask, um, if you were to ask a technocrat, well, how much data do you need? He would probably respond, just a little more. That's, that would be it forever, just a little more. <laughs> you know, and you talked about in social engineering, and if these guys, it's it's almost like they're going to slap your hand if you were to, because right now it's been in the news that Facebook will remove comments that they don't like, that they don't think are politically correct. And so yeah, that's right. where I see this Internet credit score going is they'll slap your hand by somehow penalizing you for a comment that you might write on your own opinion. And that's how they can then turn the tide and social engineer to even get people to be afraid to, to speak out against anything that isn't politically correct. Mm-hmm. And that's, where, that's well, a way of social engineering, isn't it? By steering the comments to a way that only fits. This is what you can talk about and within these parameters. But once you start saying that something is, say, morally wrong then you get a slap on the hand and and they even said as far as they would kick you off of these social networks well that's right and here's what they're doing in china right now the the social score the social uh it's not actually just credit like i mean people when you when we say credit score you you think of well you go to apply for a loan and you know if you have 750 credit score why you just get automatic approval or whatever but um what they're doing in China is that uh, the government is uh, sifting all the social media plus all the financial records and stuff of people. And they, they're using a complex um, uh, artificial intelligence program to assign a value to every citizen depending on how, how loyal and how compatible they are with the government. And it's, 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 it's scary in the sense that you don't have any way to correct any data. If you end up with a score that's in the tank, you don't have any way to correct that data if it's wrong. Um, and so what they're doing in China is they're publishing your scores. The scores are being calculated and they're publishing those scores on social media. So let's say you have a hundred friends on the equivalent of Facebook in China. And all, and all the other friends, let's say, have a, a, a relatively high score, social score, say, uh, I don't know, say 800. So just pick it out of the blue. And let's say that your score is, because you're a little bit of a rabble-rouser and a troublemaker, and you, you're, you're criticizing the government policies on this, that, and the other. Let's say your score is only 400. Well, 
they publish your score so that all your good little government friends know that you're, you don't fit. And so they began to put social pressure on you to comply. And you will find yourself shunned because part of the calculation of the social score is how many friends do you have on social media that are troublemakers? <laughs> right. And that's what I'm saying. And so now, yeah. say my my score is 200 and I go to apply for a job and they find my score is 200. They're going to be like, oh, we may not want her in our company. She, that's right. She goes against exactly. the grain. She could cause problems. Yeah. So I that's see exactly this. Right. This is spreading yeah. into your, every area of your life down the road. We don't think it's so important today, but I can see where this is going to be very important down the line. Well, it's driving them crazy in China right now, at least the people that are the troublemakers, if you will. And when I say troublemakers, I'm not, I don't say that negatively. It's just, you know, people have, uh, you know, people that value freedom and liberty um, will criticize the government, and rightly so. But, you know, when, all, when your friends start to drop you on Facebook or the equivalent of Facebook in China and you, you get shunned by society, that's a heavy, heavy punishment. And yeah, and if you get you lose your job or you can't get a job or you know you're kind of frozen out of the system because you don't fit the mold that they that they want, um, eventually you're going to be marginalized to the point where you either give up or you just drop out. Right. You know, and I just see forget it. The underlying foundation is to control speech, basically. That's what exactly. And this is happening here too, as you as you know. It's already. The, the, the seeds of this are already here, and my, my guess, well, Ed Snowden did a great service to Americans to uh, release, you know, the secrets and stuff that he took away from the NSA. The, the NSA was operating in a most illegal and unethical manner, and uh, Snowden blew the whistle on it to expose what they were doing. But based on everything we know about how these people are collecting data and how persistent they are at it. They will not receive correction from anyone, including Congress. Uh, my guess is, and other intelligence experts, so I'm not an intelligence expert really, but you know, other experts, let's say, uh, that have looked at this and followed the surveillance stuff going on, uh, already surmise that the government has a secret code or a secret coding system or some type of algorithm that can rank and rate everybody they collect data on, whether or not they're friendly to the government or hostile to the government. And that's pretty frightening because if they're, and they have, of course, they have the data to do this. Question is, do they have the will to do so? And, you know, I would say absolutely positively if, uh, uh, you know, if President Obama was willing to use the IRS to stomp on conservative organizations and refuse to give them 501c3, um, uh, you know, authorizations to to receive money, mm -hmm. I, I would say definitely they have the, the will to, to mess with this and they have the desire and they have the means. They have all the data. Absolutely. So they've already probably figured out a way to figure out whether you and I are going to be team players, <laughs> if you will, or whether we're going to be out here resisting this whole thing. And I hope the uh, I hope the two of us at least will always be found on the side that's resisting this thing rather than knuckling under to it. Agreed. Okay, Patrick, let's take our next break. Listeners, today my guest is Mr. Patrick Wood. He is the author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. And we'll be back momentarily on the Truth Seekers Radio Show. 
you're struggling to pay or haven't been making your student loan payments, listen carefully to this urgent alert. Have you been out of school for 10 or more years and you're still making your student loan payments? Are your student loans past due or even in default? Can't go back to school because of an old student loan problem? We can help you if you qualify. Your student loans can be taken out of default. We can stop the wage garnishments, stop the collection calls, and stop the seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and see if we can help you reduce your student loan payments. One quick 10-minute call could solve them right now. So call the Student Loan Helpline now. 855-371-FAST, 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 855-371-3278. This is a fee-based document preparation service to help you access free government programs. Call for complete details not available in all states. Want to lose weight? Then turn your body into a furnace that literally melts the fat away. That's exactly what Thermometer does. Thermometer is uniquely formulated with patented ingredients like bitter orange, brown seaweed, and decaffeinated green tea. Their combined thermogenic properties boost up your metabolism and turn up the heat in your body so you melt the fat away without any jittery side effects. Thermometer is not available in stores. It's only available to listeners of this station. We're giving away 100 free bottles right now to anyone who enrolls in our special trial offer. Call now for your risk-free trial offer. 800-430-4147. One more time. 800-430-4147. Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers radio show today. My guest is Patrick Wood, and we're discussing his book, Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. So I want to get to the subject of one of your chapters, the Trilateral Commission, because I think their role is huge in this. And so I kind of would like you to talk about that, if you would. What is the Trilateral Commission, where did it come from, and why does it hold, hold so much power or have such a big role in technocracy, Patrick? The Trilateral Commission was formed in 1973, co-founded by David Rockefeller and Zbigniew Brzezinski. Brzezinski was a scholar at um, a political science professor at Columbia University at the time. Rockefeller, of course, was just the, uh, you know, the filthy rich <laughs> banker industrialist that had all you know all the money in the world at his disposal they teamed up together to create an international action or organization to create a new international economic order they repeatedly denied any charges that they were trying to do you know co-opt the government and I, they really weren't i'm convinced now that that was really not their intent however uh, they were able to place their people, their members, in government positions, especially starting with Jimmy Carter's administration in 1976. And they stuffed the Carter administration with members of the of the Trilateral Commission, and included, and that included Jimmy Carter and Walter Mondale. Both were members, and they swept in Carter. Then swept in almost one third of the entire U.S. membership into top government posts. At one time, there was only one member of his cabinet that was not a member 
of the Trout Adder Commission. And you, uh, you look on the surface of it and say, oh, that's a political coup. Well, in a sense it was, but that wasn't what they, that, that's not why they grabbed the executive branch. They didn't want it for the sake of a political coup. They wanted it for the sake of getting their hands on the biggest economic engine in the history of the world. Because the United States was the powerhouse in the world, controlled virtually all economic affairs everywhere. And so over the years, in the ensuing 40 years to now, for instance, the U.S. trade representatives, for instance, that have negotiated all these cockeyed trade deals that would have you know, sent us to the cleaners every time, it seems like, uh, there's only been 12 U.S. trade representatives since Jimmy Carter. Nine of those have been members of the Trilateral Commission. Nine out of 12 have been Trilateral Commission members. That's incredible, including the current USTR, Michael Froman, who's busy negotiating the Trans-Pacific Partnership as well as the Transatlantic Investment and Trade Partnership. Uh, they're not negotiating for us, by the way, as people. They're negotiating for themselves, I dare say. The World Bank president is another uh, issue. Uh, the World Bank has been the engine of globalization. Nobody disputes that. Uh, six out of eight presidents of the World Bank in the, since Carter have been members of the Trilateral Commission. That's incredible. And, and the list just goes on and on. Uh, but they have dominated the, uh, the economic engine in America to bring about their new international economic order. And uh, we're very close to the, you know, the, the end of this at this point, but um, the, the membership now is a little bit larger than it was back in those days. Um, they have about, I think, 350 or three, 330, something like that. Um, but there's still only about 100, uh, 110 from uh, United States. There's a few from Canada and Mexico. Uh, Asia now has, uh, it's a little bit broader in its representation. But David Rockefeller, when he wrote his memoirs, um, I think it was in, 90, in the 90s, he said that, um, that Europe, the European Union, was a product of trilateral commission operation uh, from the, even from the early days. And even the constitution of the EU, which uh, one, of, one of the iterations that was written in, uh, I think it was 2000, was written by a member of the trilateral commission. So, you know, they've had their hands in everything and nobody's paid attention to it. It's just like these people have just gotten a, a free pass and it's like they wear Teflon suits. Nothing sticks to them. Um, the light hits them, but the light just doesn't come off, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but they've been they've been busy working at this behind the scenes for 40 years. And here we are today wondering, you know, why is the world falling apart economically? And why are, you know, why are we in the condition that we're in today? That's, that's a pretty fair question. Um, you know, as, an, as an, one with an economic background, I, I'm, I'm amazed that, that uh, intelligent economists don't jump on this story and just rip it to shreds. It's not hard to do, by the way. I've done it, and I know anybody else could do it if they had a mind to do it. But this whole sustainable development thing is so phony. It uh, cannot possibly work. It's just riddled with issues and problems. And yet uh, the whole world, and you know, I say the whole world, let's talk about the United Nations in particular. The United Nations is the big spreader today of sustainable development, global warming and green economy, all those sorts of things. And the head of climate change at, um, at the UN last year said very bluntly in a press, release, a press conference in Europe, she said uh, this direct quote from her lips, she said, this is the first time in the history of mankind that we're setting ourselves the task of intentionally within a defined period of time to change the economic development model that has been reigning for at least 150 years since the Industrial Revolution. Isn't that incredible? Yes. And, and Patrick, 
isn't that the key thing? Sustainable development will be the key to pushing technocracy. Is that not correct? Is that what, That's basically what your book is about. Yes, I would go a little further and say that it is technocracy. It's not, it's not going, it's, it is leading that way in one sense, but sustainable development and green economy, which are used synonymously at the United Nations, those terms are, the, the substance behind those terms are pure technocracy warmed over from the 1930s. There are a few little differences today, but they seem they're, they're in process of being reconciled, I believe. <laughs> As time goes on, but um, but but this is this is the heart of the matter. The United Nations is creating a new international economic order. That's it. That's what the Trilateral Commission said in 1973. They're creating a new international economic order. It's never happened in the history of the world before. They admit it. Um, as an economic system, it's never been tested. It's never been tried, and yet they say to us, "Trust us." This is going to work out. This is going to be great. It's green, you know. That's <laughs> like what everybody likes to color green, and that makes it okay. Uh, they have no facts, no no track record, no history, no nothing to indicate that sustainable development as an economic system will do anything other than destroy the planet as we know it today. And they've got everybody on board. I mean, these big corporations are all talking about going green and doing this for, for the environment. And That's right. So it, the, there's more of your social engineering you're talking about. Um, and here's how I picture it. Is this kind of how you laid it out in your book? Trilateral commission at the top and maybe council on foreign relations under that. And then... Didn't you say that our president is very instrumental in appointing a lot of the heads of these groups, like when you were talking about the World Bank and and such? Well, absolutely. Um, You know, the president has still, even to this day, uh, has tremendous influence over the direction of economic policy that, you know, that America uses throughout the world. Uh, whether it be through the State Department in many cases, uh, whether it be through the uh, the office of the U.S. Trade Representative, or whether it be appointing a certain person to the World Bank to be president of the World Bank. Absolutely. And there's many other appointments within our government, too, that make a whole lot of difference. Uh, and they have been very methodical about placing their people in the positions of uh, power. Uh, especially when it's related to economic issues and economic policy. You know, there's something I wanted to get your opinion on. The Trump meeting with Kissinger, a lot of people (laughs) are under the impression Kissinger's a has-been. He really doesn't have much pull. But I looked into this. I was reading your book at the same time, and then I go and I see Kissinger is still in the Trilateral Commission and I think he has a lot more power than people know. So, you know, they say, oh, he was just meeting for foreign policy advice. What is your feeling on the true meaning behind the, the meeting between Trump and Kissinger? I'll tell you, honestly, I'm, the jury's still out in my mind. But I picked up on that immediately because I've watched Kissinger for over 40 years. And whatever people might think of him, he's always an old man. He's, you know, maybe he's getting senile because he is an old man. Uh, They don't understand the person of Henry Kissinger at all. And my guess is, I say this kind of facetiously, but my guess is he, he's a kingmaker. He has been a kingmaker in the past. He's a kingmaker today. And he probably is going to be a kingmaker ruling from the grave when he dies. (laughs) 
this man is this man has been uh, incredible over the decades, and he didn't call. Apparently, he did not call for the meeting, as far as we can tell, with Donald Trump. It was Donald Trump that approached Henry Kissinger. That's, now, that's for all what, of, that's what scares me, you know, because people are putting, uh, it does. Uh, they're putting their. It, everything into Trump, that they they really believe that this guy's for us. And I hope he really is. I do. But that was the thing. Now, what you just said, I didn't realize that he was the yeah. one that called the meeting. So that even puts more questions in my head. Well, I've read a couple of accounts uh, of the what led up to it. And, and uh, I, I've seen consistently that they actually had some phone calls before the meeting took place. Uh, I don't know who initiated those phone calls, whether it was uh, maybe Henry picking up the phone and calling Trump or vice versa. But in the end of it, he ended up meeting with him. And uh, the uh, Trump's organization said that it was him that called the meeting with Kissinger. Now, that could be true. It Maybe it's not. That's what they said. Um, <clears throat> but the fact, the fact that he can talk about making America great which I'm all for, by the way. I, we, we could do it again, I think, if we had the right kind of president. But if you talk about making America great, the last person on the planet that you would want to have anything to do with is Henry Kissinger. Exactly. He's the last person there. I can't think of anybody more nefarious than Henry Kissinger. And right, that, that would include the big Brzezinski and, you know, all the whoever else. Because Trump has been saying how he's anti-establishment, and so what does he do? He calls a guy in the establishment to talk about foreign policy. That I, I just don't get that. Well, I know, and Kissinger is not just associated with the establishment. He is the establishment right. in a very real way, and as, as a member of the Trout Auto Commission especially, it's not like, it's not like Henry runs the Trout Auto Commission, but he is one of the core insider members of the commission from the very day one that it was started in 1973. Okay, Patrick, let's take our last break. Listeners, today my guest is Patrick Wood, author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. And we'll be back momentarily on the Truth Seekers radio show. Want to lose weight? Then turn your body into a furnace that literally melts the fat away. That's exactly what Thermometer does. Thermometer is uniquely formulated with patented ingredients like bitter orange, brown seaweed, and decaffeinated green tea. Their combined thermogenic properties boost up your metabolism and turn up the heat in your body so you melt the fat away without any jittery side effects. Thermometer is not available in stores. It's only available to listeners of this station. We're giving away 100 free bottles right now to anyone who enrolls in our special trial offer. Call now for your risk-free trial offer. 800-430-4147. One more time. 800-430-4147. This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. 
That's right, General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices. A 50 by 100 for $35,000. You heard right, that's 5,000 square feet for $35,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 100 foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic Lows. You can't afford to wait. So call Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers radio show today. My guest is Patrick Wood. He is the author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. So, Patrick, in your book, you talk about transforming religion. Um, What do you see as their way of transforming religion? What does that look like? Wow. Well, this is this is kind of a kind of a long and involved story. But the the major religions of the world have been co-opted to buy into sustainable development and all of the green mantra, and uh, that includes the institutionalized what I call institutionalized religious organizations like like the World Council of Churches, uh, which uh, you know basically is an interfaith organization at this point, but. You know, they represent all the mainline denominations. And uh, when they had their interfaith summit on climate change, for instance, in 2014, that's what it was called, the interfaith summit on climate change. You can see this one coming, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, All the religions of the world are represented at this this big summit. It's incredible. And the World Council of Churches said after that meeting, this this is a quote from their, their press release, there has never been such a large amount of religious environmental activity in one location in the history of the world. This week will mark a watershed in the history of religion. It will be the time that people remember as the time when the world's faiths declared themselves irrevocably as green faiths. Close quote. You, you just, it's, it boggles the mind. Can you hear my mind boggling? Boggle, boggle, boggle. <laughs> it's like... What? That's what they. That's what they say. They've absolutely gone head over heels. Even, even the Pope last year and last summer, late summer, uh, issued an encyclical on climate change. Now, an encyclical doesn't have the same weight that a papal bull does, but nevertheless, an encyclical is you know kind of official policy of the church. It gets sent out to all the bishops and all the parishes around the the world, and so. The Catholic Church has gone hook, line, and sinker uh, in with the United Nations and their implementation of sustainable development and green economy. It's just amazing. So the Pope is going to play a huge role, I think, in helping push all these agendas, don't you think? He is. He, is. he already is. He's already he's already in it. In fact, you remember when the Pope came to the United States um, last uh, October, um, made a big deal. He went to Philadelphia and he's in New York. But the reason he came to the United States was to be a keynote speaker at the at the UN's meeting on the 2030 agenda. And uh, the Pope came to be uh, the moral 
jawbone, if you will, for the conference. And uh, he was. And, you know, because, you know, hey, it's the Pope. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the Pope went and he spoke. He kicked off the meeting, uh, the entire conference. And uh, um, he spoke about, you know, all the his encyclical. He spoke about social justice. He spoke about um, alleviating poverty throughout the world and all that kind of stuff. And, and he gave hearty approval to the United Nations for what they were doing. Uh, so yes, he's in it. He's knee deep in it for sure. But not just him. It's all the other leaders of the world religions as well. They're knee deep in this stuff. Um, Patrick, we're running out of time, but there was a quick story I, I'd like you to tell. It was I heard it you being interviewed by John B. Wells, and it's the Barney Miller clip. Can you give us that little story real quick? Oh my gosh, I sure can. Barney Miller was a comedy, a sitcom back in the 80s. It was one of the funniest, I think top rated too for some period of time. And um, as a result of our criticism and speaking about the Trilateral Commission back in those days, somebody in Hollywood got to the to the producer of Barney Miller and they did a skit where a guy was drug into the uh, police office, the precinct, and he had broken into the Trilateral Commission offices. And uh, he was, you know, kind of ranting and raving, you know, they're they, they they put their man in the White House and, um, uh, you know, they're, they have these plans for us and whatever. And he's going on. He's, he's saying some accurate stuff. And then um, he's got some magazines with him and they, they look at the magazines. It's like, you know, conspiracy archive, <laughs> whatever, you know. Uh-huh. And they completely ridicule this guy. Um, just make him look like, you know, dog meat. And it was a hit job. It, it only lasted for about two minutes, the whole skit. But it was an absolute hit job on anybody that dared to criticize the Trilateral Commission. And uh, our book sales didn't do very well after that, I have to say. It was pretty much the death knell. Not not just that skit, but there was other reasons that, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan getting elected especially uh, just tended to make everybody go home and yeah, you know, we're saying Ronnie saved the day. He's going to, you know, everything's going to be good now, <laughs> you know. But what's and amazing so they just, is when was that show in the early 80s or the late 70s? It was, uh, I believe it was 1981 and a half, something like that. But uh, it might have been 1982. But it was funny, but it was very effective. And uh, they just, you know, they just absolutely clobbered the uh, the critics. Okay. But I say, as I uh-huh. said in my book now, I, I you know, I tell people, look, you, I don't, I don't accept that kind of criticism anymore. After 40 years, we can look back in history and do a little forensic uh, dissection of what actually has happened. And these people stand naked before the evidence, not just naked, but naked uh-huh. before the evidence today. They're so stinking guilty. It ain't even funny. And we don't have to apologize for it anymore. And Patrick, before we go today, I mean, what can everyday people do to help circumvent this whole thing or is there anything we can do well there's a lot you can do number one you got to read and i encourage people to to get technocracy rising the book get it any way shape or form you can get it go to your library if you don't have the money go to the library and ask them to buy it they'll bring it in for you uh read get up learn about this stuff get up on it don't hide your head in the sand and secondly get up and get out in your local community this trickle this has trickled down to all of America. You need to go down and start attending the city council meetings and the school board meetings and the water board meetings and the fire department board meetings and 
you know, the county meetings and stuff, you need to get in, into where decisions are being made for your life and your community and root out this evil ideology and confront them. And, uh, you know, if they won't repent and say, well, I, some, some are ignorant, truly. You tell them, you, you educate them, and they, some will say, wow, I didn't know that, man. I'm, I'm backing away from this thing <laughs> really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, some won't. Some will just look at you and just say, get out of my office. Those people need to be named and shamed and driven out of office right. one way or another. You need to make life so miserable for them that everybody in the community should know what they're doing to your community and to your, to, to your country. Okay. Well, and Patrick, uh, we're out of time. So can you give us your website again so people can get your book, Technocracy Rising? Sure. It's technocracy.news. That's the suffix, dot news. And you'll find tons of stories that I post there every week on technocracy around the world. And if, you have, if you're having trouble understanding what we're saying here, Go read some of the current stories and stuff and say, wow, I didn't know that was connected. (laughs) You will be amazed. Okay. And Patrick, thanks so much again for taking time out of your day to talk to us. Listeners, today my guest has been Patrick Wood. His book is Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. And until next week on the Truth Seekers Radio Show, God bless. (laughs) 